Kia ora and welcome. I'm Indira Stewart. This is RNZ's Coronavirus Podcast. Please remember to keep sending us your introductions for the podcast. You can do that through RNZ's Vox Pop app. It's free and available for iPhone and Android. Later in this episode, we're going to hear some tips on getting into gardening during the lockdown. But first, let's get to the latest headlines. Over the weekend, New Zealand officially reached more than 1,000 cases of COVID-19. As of Sunday afternoon, the number is 1,039. The good news is the number of new cases each day is staying reasonably static. So far, we aren't seeing the exponential growth which has hit many other nations. It's still too soon to celebrate based on those numbers, but Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern says there is other data which suggests the lockdown is going to plan. Economist Rodney Jones was interviewed this morning and talked about some of the modelling that has been done using the expertise of his team, including a biostatistician. This is modelling that I have seen over the last few weeks and have continued to monitor closely, especially given at several points it has been accurate in predicting New Zealand's case numbers. On the eve of our lockdown, his modelling projected we had the potential to face as many as 4,000 cases this weekend. We're instead at just over 1,000. Those 3,000 fewer cases shows the difference that cumulative action can make. 3,000 fewer people sick with COVID-19, 3,000 fewer people passing the virus on to others and then to others and then to others. This is something we've all done together, but we can't let up yet. Over the weekend, the Director-General of Health issued a special health notice clarifying rules for the Level 4 lockdown. Mostly, it's just confirming existing stuff. For example, the ban on potentially risky sports like boating, tramping or mountain biking. The notice also clarifies rules for so-called shared bubbles. A shared bubble is where people in separate homes are allowed to visit and stay with one another. You're only allowed to set up a shared bubble under limited circumstances. For example, if there are joint caregivers of a child who needs to move between houses. People can also join a shared bubble if they live alone or if everyone in their home is classified as vulnerable. Of course, we still need to do all we can to keep these bubbles small. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Ardern says the government is working on what conditions need to be met before New Zealand can move out of the Level 4 lockdown. So things like um, case numbers, so it gives us a sense of the rate of transmission and whether or not we've been able to slow that down. Uh, then we're looking at what's happening with community transmission and also uh, the success of contact tracing for our clusters. All of that information will tell us whether or not we have got control back of COVID-19 in New Zealand and whether we're in a position then to move to different alert levels. I'm wanting to dig deeper into some of what we need to be looking for. That's where I've asked the Ministry of Health alongside our experts um, and those in the science field to help dig deeper into the criteria we need to use as a country to have confidence when we move levels. Ms Ardern says the government still isn't setting a date for when we will move out of level four. No decisions have been made at the point at which we will be uh, exiting level four because we have to rely on the most up-to-date data that we have and we're not at a point yet where we can see the full impacts of alert level four let alone make that determination 
But what I can say is that the more people comply, the more likely it is that we'll be able to come out at the time that we've said. What I've also said is there may be circumstances where certain regions, depending on what's happening with cases and clusters, may stay in longer than other regions. But again, it depends all on our ability to risk control back of transmission of COVID-19. The good news is we have new data showing how well the lockdown is going. Google has released location tracking statistics which show activity in retail and recreation spaces has fallen by 91%, while activity in parks, beaches and other public spaces has fallen by 78%. Of course, not everyone is taking the situation as seriously as we might hope. While compliance has been generally strong, there are still some who I would charitably describe as idiots. Yes, you might have seen this over the weekend. A 38-year-old Christchurch man was arrested after filming himself coughing and sneezing on people at a supermarket. He has been charged with endangering life by criminal nuisance and obstruction of an officer of health and will be appearing in court. We've also seen some nasty stories of assault and abuse at supermarkets and hospitals. Kerry Nuku from the New Zealand Nurses Organisation told RNZ there's been an alarming rise in people spitting at health workers. It's just unacceptable, but it seems to be a trend that we're um, seeing, unfortunately, more and more over the last few days. People are scared. People want attention here and now. Uh, people don't want to wait. If people aren't feeling that you're addressing their concerns right now as a priority, they're not prepared to wait and so they're making, drawing attention to themselves. And it's about trying to jump the line in some ways, I guess. Um, but the anxiety, the fear is real. Now, as Kerry said, this kind of behaviour is unacceptable and it's dangerous. But there are some small things we can do to help. When you're at the supermarket, be kind to staff and considerate of other shoppers. If someone's being rude or angry, do your best to de-escalate the tension. Don't get into a shouting match and make things worse. And remember, just because we're physically isolated doesn't mean we have to be socially distant. Check in with friends and family and neighbours. The more people feel like they're linked to others, the less anxious and scared they'll be. Meanwhile, the Australian Immigration Minister has urged any New Zealanders who aren't eligible for welfare payments to return to Aotearoa. Prime Minister Ardern says the Minister's announcement could affect a large number of Kiwis living across the Tasman. And I think what he'd do well to remember is that if uh, they wish for Australia to be in a position to gear up in the aftermath of the outbreak, then they'll need a workforce to do that. And New Zealanders make up that workforce. They on average earn more and pay more taxes uh, than others. They are a key part of the Australian economy uh, and I would have thought they wouldn't want to be so quick to lose them. The second point I would make is that New Zealanders also make up the health workforce. Uh, and that there are some, for instance, who won't be being kept on because they may have been involved in contractual arrangements in the health workforce and in elective um, uh, services. And that, I would have thought, again, would be a workforce that they would wish to keep. Oh, happy to take them back, though. Overseas, the United States remains the epicentre for the virus, with more than 352,000 confirmed cases there as of this morning. 
New York alone has nearly as many cases as the whole of Italy, and the governor, Andrew Cuomo, has announced he expects the number of cases to peak within the next two weeks and has thanked the Chinese government for facilitating the donation of a 1,000 new ventilators to the city. The US Centre for Disease Control has also issued new advice on masks. It's now advising all Americans to cover their face with clean cloth or fabric while in public. Worldwide, there's still disagreement among experts over whether the general public should wear masks. In Italy, there was a glimmer of hope this weekend after the number of patients in intensive care fell for the first time since the start of the outbreak. The number of new cases has also stabilised and officials believe the disease has reached a plateau thanks to a strict lockdown. Meanwhile, China is still struggling to stamp out the virus despite drastic efforts. The number of new cases rose from 19 to 30 over the weekend. However, numbers are still well down from the peak of the outbreak in February when hundreds of new cases were being reported every day. One of the things I've been seeing a lot of on social media are my friends and family who are now trying to get into gardening. Personally, I'm really wanting to grow spring onions, and I've been told they're very easy to grow. And especially when many of our independent grocers are closed and it's not such an easy trip anymore to the supermarket, now seems like as good a time as any to start gardening. But the garden centres are all closed and if you're in an apartment or on a smaller section, you might feel like you're out of options. So to get some top tips on how to garden under a lockdown, our producer Jessie Chang spoke to Linda Hallinan, a writer for New Zealand Gardener magazine. And just like the rest of us, Linda has been trying to adjust to life with family in lockdown. I can barely walk across the driveway because my husband and children have been doing some pruning, <laughs> which I think they think is useful, but I'm not entirely convinced it is. Yeah. That's the thing. I think one of the things that gardening can do for all of us at this time of um, crisis is really just give you some something to do, like something physical and practical to actually do right. if you're starting to feel a bit niggly and antsy, which I think mm. all of us are. If people want to start doing a bit of gardening or building like a veggie garden, where do you think they need to start? I guess the good thing is that the main reason people say that they don't start a vegetable garden is that they don't have time to look after it. And so (laughs) none of us can claim that at the moment. Uh, The problem that we all have is that we can only access the resources pretty much that we already have. So if you're starting from scratch and you've never gardened before, you might not even have a spade. But you might be able to get one because the good thing about social media at this time is that lots of local communities are going hyper-local. So, you know, I know on our own local grapevine, if you need something, you can just sing out and ask for it. So say somebody might have a second-hand spade that they don't need that maybe they can clean and leave outside for you to pick up, that sort of thing when you're out for a daily walk. So you've got to get a tool of some sort to dig the soil with. You don't need to actually have a garden bed. You can just use a corner of your lawn. So if you've got a a lawn, and most lawns are actually in pretty nasty shape anyway because we've had such a bad drought. Mm. So that's a plus. You can actually (laughs) dig over a patch without causing too much mess. And all you need to do is dig that spade into the ground 
the whole so the whole head of the spade goes in and then you literally just turn it over and so you don't even need to dig out the old grass and then just chop I would say chop the crap out of it which isn't a particularly technical term but like Joe chop 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 but it gets the message across yeah yeah so <laughs> chop it hard get your frustrations out on the soil and then just dig it over and if you've got other things you could dig in so if you've got things like fallen leaves um, you might have some vegetable scraps although I've already noticed in just the last few days of trying to minimise waste how much less food waste we're producing so I suspect that most people's compost heaps will start to get a little bit hungry mm. in the coming days because you know you just don't throw anything away normally we'd throw the crusts of the bread out but we're um we're making the kids eat that too because there's <laughs> none coming so <laughs> I think to a large degree a lot of people will uh, actually see what kind of residual resilience we all have when we're forced to use less mm. and so this is quite a good way to do it the other thing is, is if you've already got seeds, which most gardeners do, you know, most of us have half a packet of carrot seeds because we've sowed half a packet before. Like, just use all of those seeds. You've got nothing to lose. We've got nothing to do. Um, you know, just get out there and sow them. And it doesn't even matter what you sow them in. If you scratch a little gap into a corner of a flower bed or you've got a pot full of potting mix, any soil will do. And then water. So just so long as you're watering your seeds after you sow them and you're not burying them too deep, so in you know in normal times, you'd just whip to the garden centre and buy a big bag of seed-raising mix. Well, that isn't an option. You can get small bags of seed-raising mix in your supermarkets, but I suspect mm. that they'll be stripped pretty clean. Um, but if you can get a small bag of seed-raising mix, you can use that and you just sprinkle that over the top of the seeds after you've sown them. But to be honest, in, you know, in real life, if we had no seed-raising mix, things would still grow. So you can just literally sprinkle some very fine dirt over the top and away you go. If you haven't been to the gardening store and got some seeds for different things, what things can we actually plant? Well, so there's a few things. So the first thing I did, I just had a wee look on the um, on the list in the gardening section that you can get your online shopping. So this this will be pretty standard for most um, most supermarkets. So there's lots of seeds for salad greens, so things like rocket and microgreens, which can be sown now. And that's the key thing. You need to sow things that will actually grow now. So if, even if you can buy tomato seeds, don't bother because they won't grow. It's not the season. But you can put in things like yeah, rocket salad, um, mesclun salad mixes. Any lettuces will grow now, and also all of the so-called Asian greens, so bok choy, pak choy, those sorts of things, they'll grow pretty good. I wouldn't worry about more difficult things like broccoli and cauliflower. They're actually quite hard to grow, even if you're a seasoned vegetable gardener, and they're really slow. So it's better just to focus, I reckon, on herbs and salad greens, because then you're going to get some quick results, and you can eat them quite young. You can eat them sort of two or three weeks after you've sown them if they've come up. If you buy a bunch of spring onions, you can chop the top off it, and provided you leave about, I don't know, maybe an inch and a half attached to the roots, you can then replant that. Because, you know, spring onions, when you buy them, they come in a bunch and they always have the roots on them. So you can actually just plant the roots with a little sort of stub of stem attached. And they will re-sprout out the top so you can keep clipping them. So that's kind of a fun thing to do. That's worth, you know, it's pretty much free and easy. But most of the stuff that you buy from supermarkets, you can't grow on. You could plant some potatoes in a bucket full of dirt if you wanted to. So if you've got some spare potatoes in your um, in your pantry that aren't looking too good, you know, like they might have been last summer's new potatoes and now they've grown sprouts out of them, you can put those into a bucket and they will grow indoors so long as they've got lots of light. So if you've got like a really sunny lounge room, you could <laughs> park some potatoes and pots up in it and they'll grow. They won't give you a huge mm. crop, but they will give you a crop and it's kind of fun and it's something that the kids can get involved with. Yeah, and, and so is that kind of the same with stuff like Kumra? Uh, Kumara would take too long, and, okay. and they're much more sort of frost-sensitive. So Kumara really need it hot as well as um, no frost, whereas potatoes mm. will grow even if it's not 
particularly warm, they'll grow in a glass house, for example. And actually on that note, I was thinking that one thing people could do, which is quite fun, is if you've got an old building project anywhere near you, and most of us would have some building supplies somewhere on the property, like maybe you might have an old window, then you could make a little cloche, so you can actually just make like a raised bed with a window on the top. And what we use those for is like a mini glass house. And so that way it keeps all the bugs out so your snails won't get in and eat all your crops. And also you can just grow things a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. So you basically pop them in there under the window and it keeps everything nice and warm. If we don't have something like that and we're just planting a corner of our lawn, how do we keep uh, unwanted pests out? And, th- and that's the key thing, really. You don't want to fail because that's just going to make you feel worse. And nobody needs to feel worse right now. <laughs> right. So um, you need some netting of some sort. So a physical barrier is by far the best solution to all bug problems, mm-hmm. including cats and dogs and birds. They'll eat your seed things too. So maybe you might have some net curtains that you've folded up. That you know, Lots of us used to have net curtains and they've gone out of fashion, so you might have some net curtains. Okay. Or um, organza. You know, if you had some organza Christmas um, wrapping, those sorts of things, you can use anything that's like a fine mesh. Mm. And if you think about it, if you look around your house, you've probably got something like, even if it's an old sheet, you could just um, tie an old sheet to some pieces of wood and, you know, almost like a pirate ship, <laughs> make, right. a, make a cover <laughs> over the top. And it doesn't have to be there all the time, but it will certainly keep them protected while they're little and get them growing, because once they're a reasonable size, they look after themselves. And Linda Hallinan also recommends anyone keen to get into gardening to join the New Zealand Veggie Gardeners Group on Facebook for other helpful tips. That's all for today. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, be kind. Kia homaru, kia kaha. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. RNZ has tons of different shows for you to enjoy. And if you're looking to escape to the past, check out the Black Sheep podcast. It looks at the stories of New Zealand's greatest rogues and villains. Music